back. Hey, everybody online, if you didn't hear what I was having to holler because we were having a sound issue, but we're back. Okay, I already asked the question and everybody already hollered. They're ready to study God's word today. So grab your Bible and find Romans chapter 8 as we start this brand new series today in Romans chapter 8. There is so much in Romans 8. We could probably spend the whole year in just this one chapter. But today, as we dive in, also, if you did not bring a Bible, you can use your, uh, your phone. You can look it up online. Just type in Romans 8, and we will have everything on the screen today. But I want to ask you a question as we get started today, and the question is this. Have you ever had a life-changing moment? Like where, where one day you were like this, and then the next day, everything was different. And for a lot of us, you know, maybe it was something you read or something you experienced, something that happened to you, and it changed the way that you live, it changed the way that you think, it changed the way that you deal with the world and the people around you, it changed everything. And it, I will tell you that if you knew me when I was 20 years old, I am a different person today than I was back then. Now, a few of you did know me, and the rest, and you can say, amen. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because that is testimony to the power of God to change lives. It's good news. Yeah, those are the people who knew me when I was 20. You're like, yay, we're so glad he changed. And so, uh, listen, listen to 1 John chapter 5, verse 4 and 5. It says, Every God-begotten person conquers the world's ways. The conquering power that brings the world to its knees is our faith. And the person who wins out over the world's ways is simply the one who believes Jesus is the Son of God. It changes everything. John Whitfield is someone who is transformed by this truth. If you've never heard that name before, John, uh, or George Whitfield, rather, is uh, one of the most, uh, the reason I, I, I mix it up, because John Wesley and George Whitfield were close friends, and so when I think of the two together, John Wesley, and, uh, and I, I turned it into John Whitfield. Uh, George Whitfield was one of the most famous pastors who has ever lived. He lived back in the 1700s in the time of John Wesley, which is where the name Wesleyan comes from, if you were ever wondering uh, the origin of that word. And when he would come to town, uh, George Whitfield would come to town and whole businesses would shut down and people would stream outside of the cities, like towns would empty as people would come out to the countryside to hear him speak. And this is in the 1700s and he, he could speak out in the, in the fields to thousands of people. His voice was that loud. In fact, he, he became friends with Benjamin Franklin. And Benjamin Franklin did some calculations and measured and decided that George Whitfield's voice outside without a microphone, they didn't have sound systems and microphones, that, that, that George Whitfield could be heard by 30,000 people outside with no microphone. And you think your kids are loud. At home. And I mean, when he called you for dinner, everybody heard it. Nobody missed out. And so Whitfield lived in England, but he would travel back and forth to the United States and, 
and North America. He made 13 trips overseas, tallying 782 days at sea, crossing the Atlantic Ocean. In total, he preached 18,000 sermons during his 34-year preaching career. That is more than 500 sermons per year. That's even more than Dr. Buckingham, I think. Uh, in total, he proclaimed the good news of Jesus, listen, to more than 10 million people. And so here's the question. What is it that drew these crowds? Was it his good looks? I don't think so. Let me show you his picture. Not, not exactly a movie star, was he? Uh, and so what was so special about George Whitfield. What was it that drove him with such passion? And what was it that, that drew the crowds? Well, you see, back then, many preachers would get up and they would stand behind a big wooden pulpit and very serious and read from paper, uh, very, you know, their notes like they were reading from a telephone book. But Whitfield took a very different approach. He preached with passion and with purpose. And here is why. Because he had one of those life-changing moments. He told a story from uh, the 1600s when the Archbishop of Counter Can uh, Canterbury became friends with an actor named Mr. Butterton. Isn't that a great name for an actor? Mr. Butterton. And uh, it sounds like he should be on Downton Abbey. And so he, he one day asked Mr. Butterton, tell me, how is it that you actors get up on stage and speak of things that are imaginary and convince people that they are real? And we in the church speak of things that are real, but people think they are imaginary. And here's the difference that changed Whitfield's approach to ministry. Mr. Butterton said, here is the reason why people believe actors more than preachers. He said, because we actors on stage speak of things imaginary as if they were real. And you in the pulpit speak of things real as if they were imaginary. He said, it's like, you, it's like you don't even believe what you're talking about. In other words, he said, you're not convincing because there is no passion and conviction that even though the gospel of Jesus Christ is real and powerful, you act as if it were not. And what if, what if you began to speak with conviction? And that, that idea captured George Whitfield's heart. And here's what he said. George Whitfield said, therefore, I will not be a velvet mouth preacher. Everybody say the word, therefore. Therefore. He said, therefore, I will speak and preach and declare the good news of Jesus with such conviction and passion that people will know that it is the power to change lives. Whitfield imagined, what if I began to communicate with as much passion as people have for things out in the world that don't really matter. What if we worshiped and celebrated Jesus in here as much as we celebrate sports out there? 
What if we were to invest as much in the mission of the kingdom as we do in homes and cottages and cars and vacations? What if we radically lived out the truth of Scripture? Imagine the impact that we could have on the world. And so Whitfield's what if turned into a therefore. Catch this, this is so good. Possibilities become reality when your what if turns into therefore. Because, listen, this is moving from more than just dreaming into actually doing. And because of Whitfield's what if, it turned into Therefore, I will preach my little heart out so that everyone knows the great love of Jesus. And through George Whitfield, over 10 million people heard the good news of Jesus. See, things start to change in your life when you, rem you move from the regrets of the past into dreaming, what if? What if things could be different? But here's where it becomes reality. When your dreams of what if turn into therefore, I will. This happened for me in 1996. I was a brand new pastor and I was 22 years old. Uh, can you imagine that? 22 years old, I was leading a church and a brand new book came out that was supposed to, to help pastors and I needed all the help that I can get. And so I immediately went to something that used to be around back in the 1990s called a bookstore. <laughs> you ever heard of it? And so I went to a place where, that, that had actual books with paper. And, uh, and I bought this book that changed my life. Now it seems really old because that was a long time ago. But it was revolutionary. The book was called The Purpose Driven Church. It was by Rick Warren. And I sat down and I read that book. And I got to the end and I went back to page one and I read through it again. And marked it all up and read through it again a third time, three times in a row. And in the Purpose Driven Church by Rick Warren, the main idea was that, that often we get into the habit of just doing church and focus on what we do and trying to do it better rather than figuring out why we do what we do, the purpose behind it all. And that the Bible gives very specific direction concerning the purpose of the church, who we are, what we're about, why we exist, and what we are to be doing. And so uh, there are three purposes that uh, Now, he actually said that there are five purposes that can be identified in Scripture, but I'm a really simple thinker, and five was too many uh, for me to remember, and I thought that a couple were redundant, and it became three purposes, and I, I bet you're familiar with it because we kind of talk about it a lot around here because it got so into the fiber of my being and my leadership that I couldn't stop focusing on it, and it looks a little like this. God's love <laughs> in us to the world. See, the purpose of the church is to engage people in the worship of God because that's what we were created to do, to have a relationship with the Father. You and I were made to worship. 
And there can be no meaning and purpose in life apart from our relationship with God the Father. And that is only accomplished through the sacrifice made possible through Jesus Christ who died on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. And so that is why we exist as a church, to connect people with our Creator through the sacrifice, through the love of Jesus Christ our Lord. In us, this is the church, this, this, is, this is who we are, the body of Christ, that we need each other. We need the family of God. We need to disciple one another and teach one another and encourage one another and correct one another and help one another. And this level is where we are headed this fall to a whole new level as a church as we begin to launch more small groups than you can possibly imagine this fall that we want to be a part of to help each other grow spiritually and to support one another and pray together to tap in to the power of prayer so that to, together in community we can connect God's love in our lives. But it's more than that. We're then to go out and serve the community, to reach the world, the mission of the church and the mission of our lives is to bring as many people with us to heaven as possible. We don't want anybody to be left behind. For God so loved the world and so should we. And so we reach out with passion and, and boldness to meet the needs of people and ultimately to connect them to the only one who can truly meet the deepest need of their heart. Back in 1996, when I started out as a pastor, can I tell you, I was really not very excited about it. Uh, that I reluctantly answered God's call into ministry. And so when I was a new pastor, at 22 years old, to be truthful, there were a lot of things that I could think of at the time that I would rather be doing with my life. But then I had one of those what if moments. What if I've been missing something? What if the purpose of the church and the purpose of my life was right there in the Bible all along, and I had missed it. And God captured my heart with this. And all of a sudden, my what if turned into a therefore, I will devote my life to the mission of the church. And so today we are in Romans chapter 8. And I want you to notice the very first word of Romans 8 verse 1. What's the very first word? Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now this word at the beginning of chapter 8, the very first word of the entire chapter is incredibly significant, this word, therefore. If you've ever done any uh, you know, research on how to study the Bible or taken any classes or about how to study the Bible, then uh, you'll know that there is a common phrase that is used when it comes to biblical interpretation. And the saying goes like this. In the Bible, whenever you see therefore, 
look to see what it is there for. In other words, that it is there for a reason. What that means is, whenever you see the word therefore, it's like a flashing yellow light that says, pay attention, don't miss this. What is about to be said here is very, very important. And so it continues, therefore, and he begins to break down through the rest of the chapter and in fact, the rest of the book what it means for our lives. Now, it's important to understand that the book of Romans is broken into two parts. It is 16 chapters, and what we find here is smack dab in the very middle of the book. And so the first half half of the book and the second half of the book, Mark Batterson says that the word therefore is the hinge point that holds them together. And in the first half of the book, in the first seven chapters, Paul is basically teaching theology. He says, here is what is true of you. Here is what is true of the church. Here is what is true of the world. Here is what is true of sin. Here is what is true of the law and redemption and the cross. And he begins to teach all of this theology in the first seven chapters of Romans. But then all of a sudden, he goes from here is what is true and says in Chapter 8, verse 1, and therefore, here is what it means for your life. Here is how to apply it to your life. And let's pick up down in verse 8. In Romans 8, verse 8, he continues, for those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. And now, all of a sudden, here come a whole bunch of ifs. But what if, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you? There's a condition. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, that you will die Spirit, uh, physically, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. You will live, though, eternally. You will die physically at the end of your life, but you will live eternally because of God's Spirit. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies. In other words, it's not just when you die that you get eternal life, but that you literally now receive the Spirit of God, a new kind of life, a Spirit-empowered life, because of His Spirit who lives in you. Therefore, therefore, let's see what it's there for. In other words, here comes the application. Here's what we are supposed to do about it. Verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it's not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, which is what the world says that we're supposed to do, right? The world says we have an obligation to live according to the flesh. Whatever your body desires, you should give it to your body. That's what the world says. Whatever you want, whatever you hunger for, whatever you desire, the world says you have an obligation to fulfill the desires of your flesh. But God's word says, oh, no, 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 no. That is not the way to find meaning and fulfillment in life. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But 
If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Now, obligation is not exactly our favorite word, is it? Obligation is not exactly a fun word. When you, you just do something because you're obligated, like, for example, when I was, uh, when I was a kid, I, my job in the house, one of my jobs, besides mowing the grass and doing all kinds of other stuff, was taking out the trash. And I hated it, but I did it. Why? Not because it was fun, not because I wanted to, but because I had to. It was my obligation, and if I did not do it, I would get in trouble. How many of us say, oh, it is my joy. I love nothing more than at the end of the year to pay my taxes to the government. <laughs> but why do we do it? It is our obligation. It's our responsibility as good citizens. It's what we have to do. And if you say, well, I don't feel like it. Well, you may not feel like it, but if you don't do it, you will get in trouble, right? That is an obligation. You say, oh, I didn't really want to go to that wedding, but I was obligated. Oh, I didn't really want to go to this event over here, but I was obligated. I didn't really want to write a thank you note, but I was obligated. It's not a very fun word to do something just because you have to, and if you don't, you'll get in trouble. But did you know there, there is a, a good kind of obligation as well, though? See, obligation is not always a bad thing. I've been married to an amazing woman for 20 years, and, uh, and I love Tracy with all of my heart, soul, mind, body, every fiber of my being. When I look at her, I get all ushy squishy inside. I get weak in the knees because she is the most wonderful woman who ever lived on the face of the earth. And you don't even know half of it. And so I have an obligation, though. You know, every, every night she expects me to come home to her and her alone. How unfair is that? I am obligated to do a number of things because of our relationship. But you know what? Is that a bad thing? Don't, don't get me in trouble. Is that, a, is that a bad thing? No, no. Yes, it is my obligation, but it is also my joy. Why? Because I do it with joy and gratitude because of love, because of the relationship that we have. But listen, here is the difference. Tracy does not have the power to empower me to fulfill my obligation to her. It's on me. But get this. Here's the difference. Christ can. Oh, this is good. Listen, listen. You have an obligation to Christ. But here's what's beautiful. Christ actually empowers you to fulfill your obligation to him. Look at, look at what we just read. All of these ifs in Romans 8 are about the power of Christ inside of us. It says, if, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. See, the key to turning your life around is not just about becoming a smarter, stronger, more powerful person. The key to empowering your life is not about what you can do, it's about what Christ can do in you. And as George Whitfield said, the problem is not that Jesus has not transformed 
you in your being, but that you have not been transformed often in your thinking. See, if the Spirit lives in you, but Paul also says in Romans that you have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It's not just about living differently. Listen, it's about thinking differently. And George Whitfield said the problem back in the 1700s was not that people weren't declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, but they were talking about it as if it didn't really matter, as if it really wasn't real and powerful. But he said, what if, what if we began to declare it with passion? So often we live as if the power of God is not real. We say, oh, I can't do anything. I can't change anything. I'm still bound to my past. I'm still that old person. I, I can't move forward. I can't do anything. That kind of negative thinking is a lie from the enemy that wants to keep you bound and chained to your past. But Christ came that you might be set free. They set free by the power of the Spirit of God who lives in you. But if you don't change your thinking, if you don't realize it, if you don't live it, if you don't act as if it is true, then you will never experience its truth. And down at the end of this chapter, we see the ultimate what if. So he says, here's how to do this. Middle of verse 31, he says, remember, if, if God is for you, who can be against you? Verse 37, and all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so the problem is not whether or not it is true, because it is. The problem is, are you living as if it is true? See, what if you were to live as if it were true? What if you were to see the power of possibility of what God wants to do in and through you? The German poet Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, try saying that three times really fast, said, if you treat a man as he is, he will remain as he is. But treat a man as he can be and should be, and he will become as he can be and should be. Mark Batterson writes of an experiment that was done years ago in San Francisco. Let me read it to you. Three teachers were chosen by the principal to pilot a special program in the school. They were told, you are the best teachers we have. We want you to teach 90 high IQ students, and we will let you move at their own pace, see how much they can learn in a year. But by the end of the school year, those High IQ students and those excellent teachers had achieved 20 to 30% more than the rest of the school. 20 to 30% more than the rest of the school. So at the end of the year, the principal called these teachers into his office and told them, I have a confession to make. You were not given 90 high IQ students. They were run-of-the-mill students who were chosen randomly. 
The teachers felt really good about themselves. They said, oh, wow, that really shows what great teachers we are. But then this principal said, I have another confession. You're not the best teachers we have. <laughs> you also were chosen randomly, just drawn from a hat. And so the obvious question is, if these were such ordinary students and they were being taught by such ordinary teachers, then how did they accomplish such extraordinary things? And it's the power of what if. What if I became convinced of what God has done for me? What if I became convinced that I am more than a conqueror through him who loves me? What if I lived convinced that I have no fear of death and I fear nothing in life, neither angels nor demons, I don't fear anything in the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation. Why? Because I'm just so good. <laughs> it's not that funny. <laughs> no, it's not because I'm so good. It's because he's so good. It's not because of my power. It's the power of Christ in me. And listen, you have that power in you, whether you realize it or not. For some, the, the problem is you have been living as if it were not true. But what if, what if you became convinced today to walk in faith? Would you stand? See, some of us today are bound in negative thinking. Some of us are, are bound to the fears of our past. Bound to our regrets. But what if, what if today you took a step of faith? And maybe you're here today and you've never surrendered to Christ. You've never confessed your sin and believed that Jesus died on the cross for you. I'm here to tell you, that is the starting point to everything we're talking about. And so if you just close your eyes and all together, all around this room, if you've never made that decision for Christ, would you just pray and say, Father, I confess that I have been trying to live on my own, doing my own thing. But I believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for my sin. He took my punishment so I can be forgiven. And right now in your heart, receive his forgiveness. Reach out and say, Father, I take hold of that which you have made available to me. I receive your gift today, your gift of salvation, that your spirit would come into me now and fill me up, that I would live, that I would live on this firm foundation 
that I would walk in faith and courage. Father, I pray for some here today who maybe have been been believers in Jesus Christ for 30 or 40 or 50 years, but today are bound, chained to the lies of the enemy, living in defeat. Father, that you would set them free. That we would reach out in faith now and grab hold of what you have made available to us that we would be convinced that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And we are no longer afraid of anything from the past, present, or future. We reach up in faith. And we build our lives on this solid foundation. It's a brand new song that we learned this morning. And the bridge of the chorus is so powerful. Will you sing this as a declaration of faith? And as you sing these words, let them not just be words. Let them be therefore. Because it is true, therefore, I will go out and tomorrow, when I get up on Monday morning, I will go into this world with a whole new level of confidence because I am convinced. And because I am convinced, therefore, I will live it. Let's sing it together. <laughs>